Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Cult Popsha podcast. Now, I won't keep you around in this intro for too long because I am very excited to share this episode with you. That's right, this is the big one. We've finally caught our white whale. We managed to score an interview with David Mickey Evans, the director of films like The Sandlot and ones that you might remember from our podcast, Ace Ventura Jr. and Beethoven's Third and Fourth. So check out this exclusive interview with an icon of film franchise Fortnite. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of the Cult Popshire podcast. Uh, we're just going to crack straight into this. I'm mm. Richard Martin. I'm Alexander Jones. And today we've got a very special guest uh, talking with us, uh, director of uh, films like The Sandlot, uh, but also for fans of the podcast, they might know him uh, more as the director of uh, Beethoven's Third and Fourth and Ace Ventura Jr., some films that we've discussed. Um, he's here with us today. His name's David Mickey Evans. Welcome to the show, David. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, no, thank you, you so much for guy. being here. Yes. Is, we're we're 15,000 miles away from each other. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, yeah. what time is it over there at the moment? It is uh, just about noon where I, I live. I live on the east coast of uh, the United States. What, 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 what time is it there? Uh, it's about 6 a.m. So, so we're, oh, we're, wow. we're making time for this. Great. All right. Mm. Fair enough. Yeah, um, but yeah, get, thank you so much for um, taking time out of your day to do this. Yeah, absolutely, um, man. No uh, worries, no worries. I mean, when when I approached you to to talk about um, Beethoven's Third and Fourth and and um, Ace Ventura Jr., I was like, are we going to be like the first people to interview you about these? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, when I made those pictures, you know, you do your press junkets and all that sort of thing hmm. Hmm. direct to dvd yeah it's, it's never it's not that big a deal they don't really put their money there because that's the the marketing budgets on direct to dvd movies you know are just comparatively non-existent because they don't need it hmm. you know it's 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 the the uh the cover of the dvd and the power of the brand, uh, you know, like Ace Ventura, you know, you put that out there and it's going to fly off the shelves. Mm, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, as far as asking me anything, uh, you know, worthwhile. Yeah. You guys <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Um, so my first question is to do with um, there's like an old kind of rule in filmmaking is that you never work with children or animals. And mm. you now your entire career seems to be almost based off of working with some combination or either <laughs> of those two. Yeah, do you yeah. do you get that rule, or do you, do you agree with it or disagree with it? No, I can't disagree with it. I mean, yeah, a lot of my body of work has has those elements. I mean, look, it's Hollywood is a is a weird place. It's you know, the first my first big script sale to a studio was Radio Flyer, which had kids and a dog and a turtle, or actually a tortoise. <laughs> and regardless of the subject matter, it sort of doesn't matter. 
You know, mm-hmm. you get, uh, I got pinned, pegged, pigeonholed as the kid and animal guy. <laughs> so since, I mean, really, since the, that was, uh, I think that sold in the end of 1989, beginning of 1990. And since then, I mean, every kid oriented, fam, family oriented uh, story, especially uh, ones that have uh, animals. Yeah, they, they come across my desk. Wow. Yeah, a lot. No, you know, um, hey, you know, it pays the bills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, I think yeah, there's like, especially like you watch something like The Sandlot, and there's definitely uh, like a very kind of strong voice behind it of um, that sort of the kids in it, and it's it feels very natural. And yeah, obviously, yeah, a lot of that's in part to the actors, but as well as yourself, like um, it's very natural. That was entirely intended. I mean, you know, the biggest thing. I think is, you know, you, regardless of the story or how it's wrought, you know, if you're not honest with the, the audience, you, you're done. You know, right. I don't, I don't feel like lying to the audience, you know? Uh, I think that's really wrong. And yeah, it's, it's got a, a, a heavy authenticity to it. A, definitely a, a, a massive dose of nostalgia. Mm. Um, you know, uh, that one seemed to work out pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And and it's like, it, it's a testament to the kind of like the, the heavy nostalgia of it and how kind of good it is that like coming from New Zealand, we watched it. Um, we watched it again recently and it's like, um, we, we grew up, we never had baseball in this country. It's like, it just kind of never really made it over here. Yeah. And this, a lot of the experiences are like things that we kind of never really went through being younger as well. Um, but you still have that sense of nostalgia for a like thirty years before you were born, and b on the other side of the world. Um, and I <laughs> right, guess it's like right. from movies and stuff like that. Mm. But you kind of still get that same. Yeah, you know. I'm I'm a big fan of the Wonder Years, David. So for yeah, me, the yeah. Sandlot very reminiscent of that. So yeah, I think I think we feel nostalgia more for coming of age as a movie genre as opposed to the events depicted <laughs> in coming of age movies a lot of the time. Well, I, I, I agree. Look, it, you know, coming of age or nostalgia, I mean, it, it, it only works if, if the audience identifies with it, you know, and, and how does an audience identify with it? Look, if I knew that I'd bottle it and, you know, and I'd get out of the movie, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, I guess it's, it's just a matter of being honest in the process and, you know, and a lot of it is gut. You know, mm-hmm. if it feels right, it's right. It's funny. I got asked a lot about that. Um, was that your childhood and, and all that? Not that you guys asked that, but I'll, you know, <laughs> by way of this is, no. I mean, yeah, c- kind of some of it. But I had a really terrible childhood, horrible, you know, really abusive childhood. And uh, the way I like to answer it is uh, when Walt Disney got done building Disneyland uh, in 55, I guess it was 54, 55, before it opened, um, you know, heads of state, presidents, you know, kings, queens, and all that sort of thing would request. Uh, he give them a personal tour of it because it was just this worldwide phenomenon. You know, I think it's to this day still Disneyland is the uh, in the international architectural world, uh, the finest example of form and function. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would walk down Main Street. and I can't remember who it was uh, said to him, wow, uh, Walt. You know, they're looking at this Main Street USA, this, this you know, idolized thing. He says, you, you did it. It's exactly the way it was. And he says, no, it's not. It's the way it should have been. <laughs> cool. And that the, the, the Sandlot for me is the way it should have been, you know. Mm. Nice. Um, 
So, you know, yeah, I have a time machine and, and I, <laughs> I like to rewrite my past. <laughs> yeah, nice, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a sort of like interesting sort of thing that only kind of a few people get to do this chance to kind of redo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, well, sort of from two people outside of Hollywood, the Hollywood machine, and this is something that's kind of not really documented that well. Are you, can you walk us through how a film like, say, Beethoven's Third gets made that it's like it's seven years after the last theatrical release like so who's asking for that and yeah. and where does the idea come from kind of thing uh right so i mean look dvd's on its way out you know i mean they said that about vinyl now the vinyls you know this there's this huge resurgence i mean nobody you know you ask anybody what a cd is they don't know anymore they want vinyl now that <laughs> sort of thing mm-hmm uh, DVDs will they'll, they'll probably never go away. You know, there'll be a new technology to replace it and so on and so on. You know, there was film, there was VHS, there was beta, there was all that. <clears throat> so it's different platforms. Now it's all streaming and digital and so on and so forth. Well, in the late nineties, when the DVD revolution hit, the studios, um, realized they had this untapped, uh, reservoir of, uh, revenue, which was, and the formula went something I've, I've done these kinds of movies for a number of Disney universal Fox and all that. They're all a little bit different, but basically all the same. They go through their library of films. Let's say within the last 10 years, that's kind of where, where the, where the thing give or take. And they look for, uh, films that, uh, cost a certain amount of money and, grossed a certain amount of money in their domestic theatrical release. So if the movie back then cost, you know, 12, $15 million, the cutoff point, <clears throat> they had to have made something on the order of 50 or $60 million, you know, which today would be considered a moderate success, but back <laughs> then was a big deal. Uh, and if that movie had done that, and they were mostly family oriented films, because that's who buys, the bulk of the DVD, it, you know, the VHS, it was families. And I remember the, the Disney juggernaut uh, with VHS and the, you know, the late eighties and all through the early nineties and stuff. Christ, I, I must've had thousands of, of Aladdin. I can see the thing in the background there and every <laughs> yeah, other yeah. one they made, you know? So they look through their catalog and they look, you know, uh, they're usually called the home video division. Sometimes those divisions are called the family home video division or whatever. And they say to their higher ups, look, Beethoven one and two made, you know, gazillions of dollars. Uh, we can't get uh, Ivan Reitman uh, back because we're going to have to pay him a million dollar fee. We can't get, uh, you know, Charles Grodin back or Duchovny or anything like that. Let's do number three and make a direct to DVD. And those uh, budgets and schedules on those movies are nothing compared to what the budgets and schedules were on the initial films. Mm. Um, you know, I don't remember offhand what the original budget and schedule for the Beethoven movies were, but I can tell you they were healthy, you mm. know, because, uh, you know, animals, uh, tend not to cooperate <laughs> a long time to shoot those movies, you know? Uh, so they came to me and said, look, you know, uh, do you, do you want to do it? And I said, you know, my kids were little at the time. And I said, wow, you know, I'm going to be a hero if I do a Beethoven movie. <laughs> so, uh, so I did the first one and, you know, I think if I had to guess, they probably gave us one quarter of the budget 
and less than one half of the amount of time. Right. Okay. So, you know, they, the original Beethoven, you've got four or five St. Bernards all doubling each other, you know, and you can shoot these great chase sequences and all this sort of thing, but they've got 40, 50 days to shoot mm -hmm. that movie. And so now this is, this is what makes these movies very difficult to make is they go, okay, make it as good and funny as that, but like you only have less than half the amount of time. Wow. So go, you know, <laughs> uh, so they're, they're very difficult. Um, but they're also very lucrative. You know, those, those movies make a ton of money because, uh, there's a huge appetite for that. Mm -hmm. Um, like I said, the family sort of thing. I've done those. I did the Ace Ventura one. was very successful. The most successful one was the Sandlot 2. I did that one as well. Mm -hmm. I had uh, one, uh, one less than a third of the budget and less than half the time of the original to make that. But that one uh, is actually the most successful directed DVD family film of all time. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And um, I, I think because a lot of these movies tend to come out at like Christmas as well, and there is that kind of like name recognition yeah, yeah. like you, you like mum dad's at the store and can kind of go oh there's a new one of these and that's exactly yeah. how it works that's, that's exactly um, right that's a real satisfying answer for me because <laughs> when when i was researching the the eight beethoven films for our podcast when we did that um i was like and it was the same with ace ventura actually mm. both both of these franchises were ones where we the main question we wanted to answer was kind of like why did they keep making them? Like what? Like especially especially when there's such a long distance between the the last sequel, and it's like it's like it's, it's a real interesting choice to pick Beethoven to to continue on. But no, nah, it's because DVDs came in between the second and yeah. third movie. That's that's a great answer. That's, <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly right. Mm. I mean, they weren't. You know, it didn't make economic sense for the studios to go and do another theatrical. Yeah. Uh, version uh so but if they can get you know that product in, on a dvd at those kinds of uh budgets and schedules um look i mean if you look you know over the pantheon of directed dvd movies since let's say the 98 sort of till till today you know the great sweeping landscape of them are, are there <laughs> oh is there a vocabulary limit on this show no no for Okay. They're shit. Okay. <laughs> I mean, they just suck. Um, because, you know, I mean, you know, people who make them is like, just look, man, just put yeah. the name on it. Sell, sell, sell. Um, yeah, we, we, know, recently, really good... we recently watched the 14 Land Before Time films for this podcast. So there's 14 of those. Yeah, wow. We're well accustomed <laughs> to... Um, yeah yeah straight and, to dvd sequels yeah and there's arguably like one good one yeah. <laughs> now that there's that's a that's a mindset uh look you know uh when i did the sandlot 2 at fox and that was 12 years well must have been 14 years or whatnot after, no 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 it was about 12 years after the original um i did that one and it blew up and it made uh the the guys at the home the people at the home video division at, at fox heroes and uh, there, th th there's this uh, thing that happens at studio divisions like that when they have a big hit. Suddenly, it was all of them. You know, it doesn't matter who they get to write it mm -hmm. or direct it or anything like that. It's clearly all they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and then if you look, uh, 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 just as case in point, if you look at the Sandlot 3, which I had nothing to do with, um, 
that's unqualifiably untrue, is it not? Mm. It's it's idiotic, you know. <laughs> uh, but you can't argue. You, you, there there is no arguing with with uh, with that that thought process. So yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah, that kind of leads us into another sort of question: is that like. So a film like The Sandlot 3 that you had nothing to do with, whereas like the first Sandlot's obviously like a very sort of personal idea. And I know Sandlot 2 is kind of an idea you played with when you wrote the original. Um, right. Then how does it feel for to have someone sort of come along and do The Sandlot 3 without you? Uh, yeah, I learned... <laughs> you can't, man, if you don't have a thick skin, just keep your day job. Don't don't come to Hollywood, yeah. you know? Uh I, I didn't, it, it was, it, you know, look, I originally had six Sandlots written. Mm. Wow. And each one, it was supposed to be 62, 1972, 82, 92, 202, And it was the same Sandlot, different kids, different adventure every time. Mm. Sandlot was uh, extremely successful in its domestic theatrical release. But again, this studio thing, they always considered it a baseball film, which obviously it's not. It's not a baseball film. It's a film about friendship. I'm talking to two New Zealanders hmm. who, who you we know, regardless yeah. <laughs> of it being about baseball, you still dug it. Yeah, man. Man. I mean, what more proof do you need? Hmm. You know? Uh, but they just say, no, it's a baseball film. They don't travel. They don't travel, which is also nonsense. It's absolute nonsense because it's one of the biggest movies. Uh, Japan, Germany, even the UK, Canada, Australia is a big deal for the stand. It's all and I got interviewed by, believe it or not, a big uh, newspaper in Argentina. I had no <laughs> idea I had fans in Argentina. Uh, yeah, and they, they love the Sandlot. And it's not it's called different things all over the world. I think in Argentina it's called Careful Hercules is Watching. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> who, who knew, right? Fun time. Who, who knew? I, I, don't, I, you know, I thought it was kind of cool. but uh, uh, So does it bother me? Yeah, because I wanted to make all six Sandlots, and I know I could have uh, kicked the shit out of them and, <laughs> made terrific movies and all that. Mm. Uh, so as a loss of opportunity, yeah, it's disappointing, but you know, uh, a very, very wise person in Hollywood had a one word, uh, piece of advice about disappointment. Next. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Next. But you so, know, you gotta so let it go. obviously it's like, you, they didn't have to run it by you then to sort of make it. There's some, no, not at that point. Yeah. They would have had to, Within the first 10 years of the original right. Sandlot, yeah, they would, ha- would have had to. Uh, but after that, you know, all bets are off. It's, they, it's their, they own it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. ah, well. <laughs> Say love um, so as You've talked about how there's, um, you have way less time, way less budget. Is this sort of, does that sort of change the vibe of when you're on set versus like a theatrical release? Does it, is it more like kind of a job, I guess, kind of thing? Yeah, it, yeah, definitely. It's definitely like that. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it's like, you know, I had 42 days to make the original stand. Well, actually, I had like 50 something, but in the first week, uh, the producers uh, said, you're, I, I, I'll never forget this. You're doing really great. The stuff looks incredible. You just don't need this much time. <laughs> Swear to God, they said that to me. Well, and I was like, oh, God, here we go. You know, so I ended up with 42 days, which ended up being enough, you know, to, to make it uh, at least 85% of what I intended. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I had 17 days to make number two. Okay. Wow. It's a pressure cooker. Um, <clears throat> a lot of... Uh, directors uh, will take that and go, well, 
Master, they dump truck directive. Mm-hmm. Master medium close up, and then they take that shit and dump it on the editor's desk and go make a movie out of this. That, it happens all the time. They don't give a shit. Mm. It's a payday. It's a job. There's, you know, I, I but I look. I mean, this family has been very, very good to me. It was a cool personal story from my childhood. So it meant a lot to me. So I, you know, look, I try real hard on the absolute best I can on every picture I do. Um, but yeah, there's a palpable set of just, just, just staggering disappointment every morning you walk on the set <laughs> because you go, you just go, you know, man, if I had X amount of time, I could do A, B, C, D, and boom, it would just be perfect. And, and you, you can't do it. Mm-hmm. So you have, you're, you're forced just to find a, a different, you know, to find really economical ways of doing things to stay on schedule that are, that also have some semblance of creativity, hmm. you know, imagination, interest, uh, you know, camera angles, whatever. I mean, you, you know, you're not going to go out on a 17 day shoot and, uh, you know, and do a hundred setups in a day. Hmm. It's yeah. not going to happen. You know, um, actually, uh, on a picture I did, another baseball picture I did, we did actually, we had about 24 days and I had a really fast moving DP and we did, uh, we had to shoot a baseball game. It was based on a true story, a movie called The Final Season. And we had to reenact a, 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 a high school a baseball game from the early 90s. And there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of setups because baseball is a very uh, setup oriented sport. There's nine guys on a, you know, yeah. and, you know it, it's, it's by orders of magnitude. Uh, it's not like football or rugby. Everybody's moving at the same time. You know, mm, yeah. everybody's standing in a different space. We did 200, 220, and 250 setups on consecutive days. And we got them all. Nice. Um, but that's really, really, really hard on your crew. I mean, you're talking 16, 18 hours and, you know, a half an hour for lunch, paying people overtime. And, and it is, uh, it's debilitating. Mm. It's no fun, you know, um, so anyway, on a little a little budget like the Sandlot too, <clears throat> after I mean, if you look at <laughs> seventeen days, and then the, somehow I got stuck with this dog <laughs> that they told me was trained. This big black uh, brindle uh, uh, English mastiff turned out the dog not only was it not trained, it couldn't sit, <laughs> stay down, come nothing. Oh, it gosh. did nothing. Okay. <laughs> And if you look at the end of that movie, when the kid falls in the hole and the dog drags him out, the dog's never in a shot. <laughs> because the dog couldn't do, it couldn't do shit. So I was like, now what do I do? Well, I go, well, okay, guys, the camera is the dog. Mm. And it's all from the dog's POV. So you, you, have to, nice. you have to be very light on your feet. Yeah. You know, it's no, that's good. Yeah. Not complaining. I'm not complaining. <laughs> but it is disappointing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so would you say that you you've kind of your creative freedom is is quite restricted then? Because because I was sort of wondering is like because it's lower stakes, you do you kind of get a bit of a longer leash, but then at the same time, it's like a very studio mandated sort of thing. So it's very, you know, you're doing our job. That is no, dude. That is exactly right. Yeah, yeah especially with those Beethoven movies that was a big franchise for them. And it was like, you will do this. You will shoot it this way, that kind of stuff. And, uh, I, I don't do well, uh, you know, being ordered around like that. So, you know, there were some, you know, 
headbutting and, and all that kind of thing, which is fine. I mean, that's not unheard of. In fact, sometimes it's totally normal. Mm. Um, but I got along very, very well with Judge Reinhold. Mm-hmm. And if there's anything, it, 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 no truer words were spoken than everything in Hollywood is people. Yeah. Everything is per- it's perception and people. Right. And uh, I, got, I got along real well with Judge, and they wanted him for the second one because the third or the fourth one because the third one did good. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that's how that worked. But yeah, it's it's a very controlling thing. <laughs> you got to remember, <clears throat> all the people in those home divisions want to be in the big boy division, <laughs> you know, the theatrical division, right? So, look, I've met and I have very good friends that are still in those divisions, very good people. And then, but like anything in life, there's uh, there are some bad apples. Mm. Now, that's, that's, that's an interesting sort of thing because I guess, yeah, like you kind of assume that everyone wants to be doing the big pictures, but then you think about it and think, oh, no, they probably are like – pretty happy where they are but it's it's interesting to know that like a lot of them aren't really well yeah i mean hey who doesn't want to direct you know a 250 million dollar justice league or or something like that i mean it's uh the the problems are the same you know i mean Mm. your budget problems are still there they're just bigger budget problems yeah you know your 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 interpersonal problems with cast and crew are still there they're just on a you know a much bigger deal it's all the same process but i mean it's you know it's the art and commerce thing right it, it, that's it's, it's been this way since the beginning of, of hollywood the beginning of time art and commerce art and commerce I, I my thing is look if i write it and somebody wants to give me the money great leave me alone mm. you know mm. on the original sandlot i wasn't entirely left alone to my own devices but for the most part i was and that's what happens when i get to do that yeah, not saying that's the same for any other director, but for me, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. You have to ha- have parts of you that are a diplomat, you know, a politician yeah. and all, all that sort of thing. And a psychologist and a teacher and being a good dad. I mean, all, all that <laughs> sort of stuff that you've always heard is true. Um, but a lot of that, uh, you just you wonder if I didn't have to deal with that shit, how much better could this be? Mm-hmm. You know? So you're always asking yourself that I am anyway. Um, but you know, uh, next. <laughs> <laughs> so with something like, um, Ace Ventura Jr. A lot of people will kind of walk past that on the shelf and be like, what? <laughs> that that <laughs> exists. When, did you feel that when when you're sort of finalizing a deal to direct it, do you have that same sort of thought process? No, no. That was Morgan Creek. Morgan Creek called. They own it. I mean, you know, Jim Robinson, who owns that. I guess his son, David, owns it now. Great guy, David. Uh, you know, Jim is very, very savvy, very smart guy. And he kept, I mean, he's made, I don't know, Morgan Creek's probably made 70 movies. I mean, you could look it up. And I think they own them all, the, the negatives and, and all that. So when he looks at the, you know, how many originals? I think three. Weren't there three uh, Ace Ventura's two, or two? Two with um, Jim Carrey. Two with Jim Carrey. 
Well, you know, when they made those, they had to pay him a pretty penny, but if they wanted to bring him back for number three, they, my God, they probably have to pay the guy 40 million bucks. <laughs> He's probably not going to do it, you know? <laughs> um, so they came up with an idea and said, what if we had his kid, you know, and we make a family-oriented film because, like we were talking about in the beginning, those movies made an incredible amount of money, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so spending three, four million dollars making some little offshoot is a very low risk. And it turned out really well because that movie continues to make uh, uh, tons of money. That kid, Josh Glitter, is still a friend of mine to this day. He's one of the one of the tr- only true geniuses I've ever worked with. <laughs> I mean, literally. Awesome. Wow. He was a uh, remarkable, just a remarkable uh, uh, comic, natural comic. You know, it was a lot of fun to make that movie. Yeah. Cool. Back to Beethoven, if I may. <laughs> um, do you yeah. remember how many dogs there were? Because like playing Beethoven because I I there's there's loads of information on the first and second. There's there was a I remember there was a dog named Chris. He died shortly after the second film, um, and I think they probably had a few stunt dogs as well. I mean, the second one has heaps of dogs in it. But um, yeah, do you remember what the dog situation was like on the two that you directed? Ab- absolutely, the late great Carl Miller, mm-hmm. who is just one of the quirkiest dude you ever want to meet he was the animal trainer and owner of beethoven and uh, his uh, daughter handled beethoven also one of my favorite uh, animal uh trainers april morley uh was involved uh with that as well and yeah chris was the original he had died but one of his uh descendants played beethoven in in three and four the same dog wow. and his his name was Bu- buddy love <laughs> what what a yeah. what a great that, piece of trivia to finally have yeah. file away that, in my that, mind yeah he just won jeopardy with that yeah. one yeah. <laughs> yeah he uh he was just enormous yeah. probably a buck 80 he had to be 180 pounds wow huge but he was just the biggest pussycat sweet dog <laughs> And the thing with big dogs like that, and even in the Sandlot, we're shooting these things in, you know, a state. I shot the Sandlot in a state here in the southwest called Utah, which during the summer is, a, I don't know, sorry, we're not on metric, so I'll have to go Fahrenheit. <laughs> Probably 115 degrees, you know, it just, and those dogs don't want to move. Mm, yeah. St. Bernard is even worse because they have all that hair, yeah. you know. So, you know, if you need him to run over here, jump over a log and, you know, chase the bad guys, it's like one take. He goes back to the air conditioned van and he calms down for an hour and then you bring him out again. So it takes a long, you have to take care of the pups. You can't, Mm. you can't, uh, you can't demand things of them that they're, they will physically injure them, you know? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, but there was that we had, uh, he was, uh, the one for, you know, he was the hero dog, right? So anytime we needed to see the big, beautiful Mm-hmm. One and then the big face for close ups and whatnot. And then they were, I'm pretty sure there were two others that were females that had markings uh, very similar to his, which were like the speed dogs. They yeah. did the running and the jumping and all that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, that, on those, I think I just had two, three. I think three, uh, three St. Bernards on both of those pictures. The Sandlot, I ultimately had about five uh-huh. live English Mastiffs and three big puppets. Mm hmm. That's cool. Yeah, those are very cool. No, oh, thank you for, for that. <laughs> These are all questions no I've had for so long. <laughs> I'll tell you. Here, I'll give you. Here's another little cool story. It's like when I made that picture, one of my sons was uh, in kindergarten, so he was about five years old. And I had made Beethoven's third or 
third, I think. So anyway, on the fourth, finish the movie, whatever. The movie comes out. He, he starts school. And you go in for the meet the teacher day and all that. And it's just this wonderful lady who had been teaching kids that age for 30 plus years, mm-hmm. you know. And she says, well, or my kid comes home with a note, you know, it's uh, we're going to have what this daddy do for a living week, <laughs> right? So all the kids got to ask their daddies come in and uh, tell us, tell them, yeah. you know, so in this area I live, there was a lot of doctors, a lot of lawyers, you know, some film people, we all know each other, but we wouldn't tell each other, anybody else what we did because <laughs> you just don't want to do that. Uh, so it came my, my turn to go in. And I says, well, you know, I make movies and, I took in all these DVDs and posters and I said, have you seen this? And they're like, Oh my gosh, we've seen that. We've seen this. We've seen that. And I go, that's cool. So, and then I brought a bunch stack of DVDs of Beethoven's third and fourth. I gave all these like 30 kids. I gave all the kids that. <laughs> and so I said to my kid, I go, Hey, Owen, um, I brought one of the actors from the movie today and he had no idea. Neither did the teacher. And I said, he's outside. Can you go get him and bring him in? And he says, what actor? I go, well, one of the actors from the movie. And he goes, well, okay. So he goes out there, and I had April, who uh, handled Buddy Love, and I took Beethoven to his kindergarten class. <laughs> yeah, that's and, awesome. uh, so we go in, and the kids just, ah! they just, you know, they're all over the dog, he's slobbering on them. Everybody's getting a picture. The teacher's in tears. Oh, it's the greatest moment in my teaching career, blah, blah, blah. By the time I got home, by the time I got home, there were like 20 phone calls on my answering machine. Evans, Johnson, you asshole. <laughs> you son of a bitch. I'll net my kids. He doesn't want to be a lawyer anymore. <laughs> oh, I got slayed for that one, but that was that was a great that That's Beethoven awesome. vetted himself very well. Yeah, Man. some serious cool dad points there. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, are you, I don't suppose you have you watched the the Beethoven films since like the ones that came out since fourth? So because there's four more. No. Care. No. Yeah. No. So, I had I, I knew there was a fifth, but I had no idea there was. Yeah. Four, so four the more. the no. the fifth one sort of ended the the main story, and then the sixth one was called Beethoven's Big Break, and. It sort of started this new continuity, and I just—I don't know why I'm why I'm bringing this up. It's just—it's really interesting because Beethoven's Big Break is about a family who discover a dog, and it's Beethoven, and they cast him in a movie, and that movie is Beethoven One, and so it's like a meta <laughs> outside of the the original yeah. continuity story. That's like the origins well, of the first film. That sounds to me like there was this big conference room with a bunch of people who think they're really really smart, and somebody <laughs> went, "I've got the most meta idea. It's so meta. That's great. This is what we're gonna do, right? Oh god, no, I just, yeah, because no. like meta is kind of uh, the new mm. sort of hot thing. Yeah, new way to do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's not bad. No, we, we after 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 watching like binge watching the the first six, the first five, we were like, "What an interesting idea!" Like we were captivated, like because there's a guy. I, look, I, I, I'm not knocking him. I haven't seen him. I have no mm. idea, but that seems odd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it was strange because it's so yeah. We've talked we talked before on on the podcast we did about how the um the continuity between these straight to DVD films is so tight. And it's like the kids who watched 
Beethoven's third or fourth. Probably they've never, you know, aren't, aren't the same kids who are watching number six and number seven, but the the continuity is still kept up through them. Well, now, yeah, look, I mean, think about it. It's just look, it's just a sort of a, a chronological time issue. Mm. So if if you know you're a parent, and you've got a kid who's seven, mm-hmm. and you take him to see the original Beethoven and the second Beethoven in theaters, mm-hmm. you might get three and four. <laughs> out of that audience <laughs> yeah. but after that it's like i'm done yeah. you know <laughs> so then how do you you know then you got to start your new gen- which is weird because the sandlot's into its third generation mm-hmm. uh and it sort of doesn't adhere to that paradigm it's it's kind of outside of, of all of all of that all of those constraints yeah um, and it kind of always will be because it's, it's, it'll never be anachronistic because it takes place in the past. Mm, yeah. Uh, no, I agree. You know, and it's always going to be, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Like, like I, I've seen people talk about, and that, that's like that thing of like, it was set in olden times 20 years ago yeah. kind of thing. So it's, it's like right. any kind of, um, things be like, Oh, that's a, that's a bit dated now. It's like, well, it was, it was probably dated then. Like I've seen people talk about the, like, you fight like a girl being like the huge insult. It's like, oh, that isn't dated well. But like right. the joke isn't that you're not supposed to side with the kids and think, wow, that's mean. You're, no, you're, it's no. like the joke is like, ah, oh, that it's, it's these kids thought that was an insult at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine trying to put that line in a movie today. <laughs> yeah. No, but again, like it's never going to become anachronistic. I mean, go back 10 years, mm-hmm. go back five years, mm-hmm. pick any movie you want that has a cell phone in it and watch it yeah, exactly in fact, it's done it's done <laughs> you know there are no cell phones in the sandlot yeah <laughs> so who comes up with the like storyline for these um sort of straight to debut is it like a studio executive being like it needs to be about a new family pay someone a couple pennies to go write it or does someone come in and be like i've got a vision for beethoven's third <laughs> decidedly not the latter sir, it's the former. uh yeah no it is it's these committees that mm. that come up with this sort of thing and then invariably they'll hire a non-writers guild you know sort of i, I use the term you know extremely loosely writer mm-hmm. to hack out some you know 100 pages of dreck yeah you know i look on uh on uh, and then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll fix it. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes it's a way bigger fix than, than other times. Uh, uh, case in point was the Ace Ventura, the uh, junior. Mm-hmm. It was, it was really bad. It wasn't funny, you know? Right. So, uh, we, I fixed it and it was, it, the script was really, really funny. And, um, most of the time though, the, you know, the, the directors they're hiring, to direct these things aren't writers. Yeah. They're not, you know, so they're going to get stuck with whatever it is that committee, uh, thinks is good. Yeah. And, you know, I defy anyone to show me a single time, one, one movie that was ever written by a committee that was good. Nice. <laughs> None. <laughs> <laughs> That that's going on 150 years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow, you know, cool. so you got to have a voice. You know, even if it's some goofy little comedy, you got to have a voice. You got to have a, you got to have a vision. Yeah, you know, you got to be able to see it. You know, there has to be a tone. 
you know, tone is very, very, very difficult and, and slippery. You got to, you got to find it and, and you got to hang on to it. And if it's not there in the script, it's not going to be on there, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, it's not going to be on the screen. Yeah. Cause like, look at you, like you said about how you sort of come in and sort of doctor the scripts a wee bit, but like, um, cause I was looking on your Wikipedia page and it says, um, director, uncredited writer for like quite a few of your things. Obviously there's some sort of Hollywood bureaucracy that doesn't let you be credited for that. Is it what happens? You know, it's different. It's, it's, it's different. I'm a member of the director's guild and the writer's guild, the screen actors guild, every, all these guilds, mm. the writer's guild, the, the writer's guild and the director's guild, they know each other. They kind of like each other. You know, mm-hmm. the writer's guild has all its bylaws and the director's guild has all its bylaws and the director's guild under their, uh, uh under the contract that, that, you know, when you're in Hollywood, you, you've got to be, you, you want to be a member of the director's guild. Uh, the, the director's guild allows the director what they call a polish. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is essentially a rewrite, but it's supposed to be to a lesser degree, mm-hmm. you know, but sometimes it's difficult to define that. And, you know, a lot of times with these DVD movies, somebody in that committee at that studio had a buddy that wasn't a member of the writer's guild mm-hmm. that they said, Hey, write this. And they pay him nothing. I mean, you know, comparatively, and then they write it and they promise them they'll get the on-screen credit. Right. But the, the issue comes up when they hire me to direct it and I go, this is shit. <laughs> now what? Okay. And they go, well, yeah, we know. Can you fix it? And I'm going to, well, you're going to pay me as a writer to do it. Well, we can't do that. Blah, blah, blah. So that's where that sort of DGA provision comes in. Right. Um, plus, you know, as a director, you have to have that kind of latitude. You know, not all directors are writers, not all writers are directors. I happen to do both primarily. I mean, I'm a writer first and foremost, Mm. Uh, so I can do both. Uh, And uh, so that's sort of how that works out. You know, I mean, look, there's a lot of movies I've written that uh, aren't on that Wikipedia page, and I could tell you what they are, and you'd know what they are. Um, (laughs) I I wrote every single word of those, man. And it's just like. That's a conversation for a different time about, you know, <laughs> brown bags full of cash sort of showing up on your doorstep. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so you, you laughed at my idea that someone would have their vision for, um, for Beethoven's third. Say we, we had a vision for Beethoven's ninth. Um, is, is there like, uh, <laughs> good, good luck. <laughs> yeah, is, is there just like the right amount of doors we have to knock on? Yeah, you'd have to, I mean, look, you know, you got to get access, right? Everything is people, perception, perseverance, determination, and access. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need access to the people at Universal that make those decisions. I don't know who they are anymore. I, I, I used to know them all, but they probably all moved on. Uh, but I guarantee you there are people uh, in a division there, the Universal Home, uh, home Video Division or whatever, mm. that you'd have to get to. Mm. And if you know them personally, you can get into them that way. If you happen to know their uh, assistants, their gatekeepers, <laughs> you can get to them. If you happen to know somebody that knows them, maybe, <laughs> but it, what you really need is an agent mm. Uh, mm. that is just relentless. Yeah. 
That's what we need then, Richard. Really? We need to get an agent who can get us to sit down with Universal Home Video Division to pitch them Beethoven's night. Why not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Find out who that person is and bug the shit out of them. Yeah. What are they going to do? Say no? Yeah. yeah. Just keep knocking on doors and be like, David, Mickey Evans sent us. Ah, <laughs> oh, there we go. It's interesting that there's like uh, a lot of cynicism around kind of director dvd sequels and like i guess coming from the other side of it there is the you've got the kind of like i guess it's some sort of semblance of cynicism coming from the places like ah oh, you know half the budget third of the time kind of thing but when you see like oh like you, you're on the shelf they've made another one of these i'm guessing like you kind of have less of like a Oh, the, they've churned out another one and more like, oh, you know, this is someone's job kind of thing because I guess you know how it happens. Yeah, yeah, I, it, it, yeah, I mean, it is. Look, it's, 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 uh, there's nothing wrong with that, mm-hmm. you know? It's, you know, it's a product. People like it. They like the big doggy. Kids like to like the big doggy. You got to make it funny. And um, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 the, the, streaming kids the dvds are dead yeah. you know i mean they'll be around but making movies that are going to go direct to dvd that's not a viable money-making platform anymore yeah. it, just, it just isn't it's amazon prime it's it's netflix uh even that's sort of where those movies go now and it's odd because you know netflix and amazon prime man if you if you do a movie uh they got healthy budgets and schedules i mean mm. like a lot yeah. of money uh, they, their, their, their model's entirely different. They seem to understand that it really does make a difference if, if it's any fucking good or not. <laughs> you know? So it's like, let's give these guys the resources, you know? There's, not only is there no stigma attached to that, like there's sort of, like there is now and kind of was in the beginning of the DVD thing, and even the, the direct VHS, um, it, there, there isn't. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where all the really, really creative stuff at, at, at sort of, you know, moderate budgets is being done. I mean, especially, I mean, the content, look, look at all these great shows. I mean, Stranger Things is just remarkable. The Man of the High Castle. Yeah. Um, one of my favorites, Bloodline, which they shot here where I live in, in Florida, just a little bit south of me. The only reason they didn't do a season four is because Florida uh, rescinded all of their tax incentives. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> which makes zero sense but you know again politics yeah. um so yeah there's it's, not only is there no stigma now to what i guess you would call the new direct to video or direct to dvd movies it's look filmmakers we want to go there we want to yeah, go yeah. make movies for those people yeah. or under their 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 banner because you know you, you get the resources and you get the support yeah you know yeah so like it's just because yeah, like obviously the sort of the straight to DVD movie is is almost dead at this point. But like even this like kind of family sort of style of movie, like your Beethovens and like, Flubber. Like, like, those, Flubber, those kind of <laughs> movies from like the nineties, early two thousands, are almost kind of dead as well. I mean, like are we just not sort of looking in the right place, or are they? Do you think they're sort of wavering? They they get now they get they get made, but it's really difficult to get those made. You find, I would say, a greater majority of that sort of content in uh, what they call the faith-based. Oh, sure, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know. Mm. 
<clears throat> there's a couple of mo- I mean, a movie, a friend of mine produced a terrific movie called uh, A Dog's Purpose. Mm-hmm. You see that with Dennis Quaid? Oh, that was a terrific picture. That's sort of in the world I'm talking about. Showing, that's my Speaking of a dog's purpose. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, he knows his purpose. <laughs> um, uh, and then there's a picture coming out with Owen Wilson and Julia Roberts called Wonder. Nice. Ah, yes, about yeah, a yeah, little yeah. boy with dis- disfigurement. I haven't seen it. Don't know if it's any good. Um, so, I mean, you know, you'll get those occasionally. Um, the, it, 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 it's a bit of a conundrum. I mean, you hear constantly. I do anyway. Why doesn't Hollywood make more movies for, for the families can go see? Well, well, they do. Disney does that. Yeah. <laughs> All of the animation divisions at, at the, you know, the DreamWorks, the Disney's and the, and the Foxes, uh, Chris Melodandre, who runs, I can't remember the name of his company. It's great work. Um, so it's all there, but that, that, that family oriented live action, a Christmas story, the Sandlot, yeah, yeah. Mm. uh, you know, I mean, those are evergreen films. They, that's the term they use for them. I, I haven't seen one of those in <laughs> since the Sandlot, <laughs> really, yeah, man. Yeah, Honestly, like- uh, I, I haven't. Uh, and why? I, I, look. I know a lot of Hollywood executives, hmm. development people. They're all given mandates by the higher ups. And I don't know a single one of those executives that likes their mandate. Hmm. Interesting. Which is go find me a comic book. Go find me a, a bestseller. Go find me a movie for these 10 stars, you know? Yeah. Um, look, it's it swung so far the studio thing into this tent pole making no moderate budget budgeted movies. They pick them up their distribution arms and their acquisition arms will purchase them and throw their names on them. They didn't make them. They didn't finance them. They're doing all that Thor, this, that picture, Marvel, your DC and all that. It has swung so far in that direction. Um, uh, and, and that, that, uh, and like we talk, Amazon and Netflix is where you're seeing really the most creative and, and, and terrific content. That's why Disney and, and all the studios are going to follow, follow suit. Are pulling all, they pulled all their films from Netflix, and they're going to start their own yeah. streaming yeah, yeah. service, right? Um, which, you know, once they do that, then it's like, okay, I already pay for Amazon. I already pay for Netflix. Wait a minute. You mean now if I have kids, I want to see Disney movies, i got to pay for Disney as well? <laughs> all of a sudden... You know, just as you unhooked from cable that you hated their goddamn guts all those years <laughs> in cable company, just as you did that, you go, I can stream. Oh, and now instead of paying the cable company, I got to pay 10 different yeah, streaming yeah, totally, services man. as well. That, that's going to happen. And when that happens, you watch the studios go right back to making lower and moderate budgeted movies. Hmm, wow. Okay? What an insight. Because they're going to need the content, dude. How many times can you possibly watch Wonder Woman? <laughs> you know, it's like the land before time thing. Yeah. How many times can your kid watch that? A hundred billion. <laughs> Good or bad, they're going to, you know, it's just, it's just reality, right? Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to David McEwens for agreeing to this interview. You can find David on Twitter. His handle is at DME Sandlot. And you can find Colt Popshire everywhere at Colt Popshire. That's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and anywhere good podcasts are held. Keep an eye out this year. We've got some amazing stuff coming up in the pipeline. 
and happy new year to you all thank you very much for listening we'll see you again next week or whenever we release another episode <laughs>